Good morning, everybody. We uh, began a two-part series last Sunday on the Jesus Resolution. And it really is based on this Luke passage in Luke 9.23. And Jesus is speaking. He said, if anyone wants to come after me, he says he's got to deny himself to take up his cross daily and follow me. The word used often in Scripture is a word disciple. And it's a word that means follower, a learner. It it's, has a deeper meaning than really our English words have when you understand the disciple and, and the teacher-rabbi mentality back in the day. It was, it was something that was very rich in the relationship that these disciples had with their rabbi, with their teacher, there in the first century, and it, they passionately followed them. So much so that they, they tried to be and emulate the teacher. To emulate the teacher in, in their knowledge, in their wisdom, and even in moral behavior. But they had this great passion for the one with whom they followed. What is really unique is that Jesus does something, and not only is he the great teacher, but then he calls his disciples to go and to make disciples. And they continue to tell about the teacher, to tell the things that they have learned, to continue to show the way of Jesus in their own lives. And what we find is this is not something that you become a disciple and, wow, boom, just like that, you're just like the teacher. It's a lifelong journey. It is an absolute lifelong journey, and it is much more than just someone who says, I am a believer in Jesus. Because what we're talking about here is a bond that is so close that you're willing to suffer for the teacher, that you're willing to forsake all worldly ties for the teacher. I want to begin this morning by kind of looking at a, a profile of a disciple. It doesn't necessarily have to be an all-inclusive kind of thing, but there are some things I think we need to notice. One is, if you are a disciple of Jesus, you're someone who's teachable. You have to have a teachable, humble um, approach to it. If you approach following Jesus like you do, like a buffet line, if some of you go out today and you go to a buffet line, you know you're going to take the things that you like, the things that appeal to you, and then you leave the rest of the stuff on there. Uh, or if we look at it like, well, you know, I think Jesus is great, and I think there's a lot of good things that he teaches, but I think there's also good things in the world that I can grab onto as well. You're not a disciple. A disciple follows the teacher, and only the teacher. And it's interesting in John chapter 6, because in John chapter 6, here's Jesus, and he had thousands of disciples. You read it. Thousands of disciples. But when you come to the end of chapter 6, it says many of them stopped following him because his teachings were too hard. So we have to be willing to do what the teacher wants us to do. The other thing is we've got to live in God's word. A disciple lives in God's word. This book was given so that we could know the teacher, so we could know Jesus. The Hebrew scriptures, folks, we, we have these these great accounts as to the character of God. It's pointed out in ways that are amazing that we sometimes just overlook. And it continually points 
to God coming to the earth. And then what we find in the gospel accounts is God that we've been reading about suddenly is taken on human flesh. And then you continue to read after Jesus' ascension. And you see they keep pointing back to Jesus. They keep looking back to him and trying to follow Jesus. Folks, it's a lifelong process that we are in. And we continue to discover Jesus in our lives. The next thing is you pray often. Someone who prays often. I love Luke 11 because the disciples come to Jesus. And no doubt, they've witnessed Jesus praying. They've heard him praying. And they say, Jesus, teach us to pray this way. Teach us how to pray. And it shows this relationship with the teacher and with the learner. That not only are we to know about the teacher, but we continue to speak. And we continue to petition our great God above. The other thing is, it's characterized by love. Something that's been mentioned and pointed out often here. Jesus said, you will know my disciples by the kind of love they show to each other. That's in John 13, 35. When asked about the greatest command, it's interesting what Jesus said. He says it's love. It's, it's actually not something he came up with. It's, it's been around since way back with Israel. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And to love your neighbor as you love yourself. And by God coming, he demonstrated to us what that looks like. Also, it's someone who disciples others. A disciple is someone who disciples others. Something that was brought up in, in our our class or meeting this morning is is the great commission in Matthew chapter 28 19 and 20 and what it simply says here is make disciples baptize and teach the message of the teacher I'm sure there are other things that we could add to this but when we talk about this Vine Project, that's something that's really a book. What the Vine Project simply is, to put it in simple terms, is Jesus' project. It's about bringing people out of this domain of darkness and we, to the cross of Jesus Christ. And then not stopping there, but continuing on in the kingdom of the Son until the second coming of Jesus and, and we all will one day be around the throne of God. Some powerful things. It's about continuing to grow in this relationship as we become disciples. That we not only absorb the scriptures, but those scriptures, they begin to transform us. That we not only pray for people, but those prayers transform us and the people with whom we are praying. It is loving others in the way that God loved us and not just saying, I love you, but looking at people and saying, you need to be rescued. To see people more than just an individual, but to see them as a soul. Now, you may have noticed in the last couple of weeks, we've used these, oh, yeah, I meant to do my little man walk in here. But you may have noticed the uh, a couple of circles. I give... Give uh, Peyton the credit here. 
Um, because what it symbolizes is what we're talking about. In that you see that there's two separate circles. They are different in a lot of ways. And the main way this one is different is they're different colors. But we also notice that those two different things, those two different entities, they are connected together. They're linked together. And, and we need to get this visual that, that we see here in that we link ourselves with others so that we can walk along with them and they can walk along with us in life as we await the coming Messiah. That's what discipleship is about. It's about us. It's about people. And no doubt about our God. Now I know some of you probably got a lot of questions. You know, there's like a million questions. And we get it. We get it. We, we've been doing... Uh, leadership. We've been doing this together, and, and we've had a lot of questions, and we've talked about different things. Well, why are we thinking about that? Why do we need to look at this? And all these types of things. And I think some of the common questions that people raise is, do I know, how do I know when I'm ready to be a disciple? I, I think that's a really good question. You know, how, how am I going to know? And the problem is that a lot of people believe that I'm a disciple of Jesus when I've got everything worked out in my life. They believe that, you know, when everything is, is going well, then finally that's when I will be a disciple of Jesus. And what's great about the Gospels is they're very open and they're very honest about the people that are disciples. Matthew, who wrote Matthew, he inserts a story about himself. And what it says there in Matthew 9, he says, He saw a man named Matthew sitting at a tax office, and he said to him, follow me. So he got up and he followed him. Wow. And while he was reclining at the table in the house, many tax collectors and sinners came as guests to eat with Jesus and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciple, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Now the religious leaders were simply pointing out what was obvious. A tax collector, they were sleazy people, okay? They, uh, we don't have time to get into all of it, but they were people who stole from their own people and helped the, the oppressing uh, nations and government and things of this sort. And so when they said someone was a tax collector and a sinner, we need to understand that terminology of sinner. They used that particular phrase for prostitutes. They used it for people who were thieves. They used it for people who had low moral character. Their sins were blatant and they were obvious. I mean, here's the thing. It's easy for us to point at everyone else and say, you know, look at what a terrible person they are. And yet, hypocritically... We know that all of us fall short of the glory of God. But there are those that are just blatant, right? That's the way tax collectors were. Someone says, you know, well, I'm just not a good enough person to be a disciple of Jesus. Well, guess what? None of us are. And it doesn't say here that Matthew, all of a sudden, that his whole life was in order. He simply got up and started following. He simply got up and he began a journey. There was transition that was beginning to be made, but he was nowhere near where he needed to be. Not at this point. And isn't it interesting that Jesus not only was interested in him, but all of his sleazy friends. And Jesus answered these Pharisees and he said, those who are well, they don't need a doctor. But the sick do. 
Go and learn what this means, he tells the Pharisees. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners. And there's a whole lot there that we could cover. But what I want you to see here is who it is that Jesus is calling to be his disciples. Is it not interesting who Jesus calls to be leaders? He didn't call the religious elite. He didn't call the priests. He didn't call those who were Hebrew scholars. He called uneducated fishermen. He called a sleazy tax collector. He called a Jewish nationalist that was a part of a terrorist group known as the Zealots. You remember when when Peyton and Lex, they spoke a few weeks ago, and and Peyton was talking about the shepherds that were there, that that the angels came to. And and he was talking, they didn't go to those who were royal, the elite. They didn't go to the religious uh, folks who were in high, high up offices. You go to these lowly, uneducated group of guys known as shepherds. Jesus' disciples, they still struggled with their faith and their trust. Folks, you can't go through the Gospels and not see this over and over again. Do you realize they struggled to understand Jesus' parables? Did you know that there were some of them that were not able to cast out demons, even though they had been given the power to cast out demons, but on this occasion they weren't because they had little faith, is what the Bible says? Did you know these guys who were supposed to be, you know, the, the, uh, these learners of Jesus, these were, were not the most humble people in the world, and they're constantly arguing over who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Do you know that after they walked with Jesus, they walked with Jesus in the flesh, intimately with Christ for three years, that at his arrest, they all of a sudden flee? And and then you have the one who is supposed to be the great leader among that group, Peter. He denies the Lord three times and with an oath. And we see this over and over again in the Gospels with these people called disciples and Jesus what we see with the great teacher is that he continued to disciple them that he continued to call them and there's no greater example of that than with Peter after Jesus's resurrection Jesus is making breakfast for them on the beach and he comes to Peter, and he doesn't say, Peter, and he, this is, he's dealing with this shameful sin that Peter has done. And he doesn't say, you know what? You're out of the group. He doesn't say to him, I'm sorry, uh, but we're going to have to demote you. He doesn't say, we're putting you on probation. You know what he says three times? Peter, if you love me, feed my sheep. There's a real transition with Peter from the end of the Gospels to the beginning of the book of Acts. Peter's still not perfect. If you went through us through Galatians, you know that. But that's what disciples do. Disciples are not people who are perfect. They are people who are coming to Jesus to continue to be transformed and to mold their lives to his. The other question I think that people have is, how do I live think I have how do I live as a disciple and I think that's an excellent question because you know we keep talking about a disciple we keep talking about a learner and all of this kind of thing 
And in my humble opinion, the first place that you really need to go is Matthew chapters 5 through 7. This is the Sermon on the Mount. This is the longest sermon that we have of Jesus. He spoke to us about kingdom living. He told us what this thing is all about. And folks, over and over again, we see that this was an important teaching of Jesus. And the way this whole thing begins in Matthew 5 is, he says he went up on a mountain and he sat with his disciples, or his disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. It covers a broad spectrum of topics. It talks about the nature of the kingdom. It talks about repentance and faith and worship and concern for others, even the effects that our possessions have on our faith and on our peace of mind. And it's challenging. And it introduces us to this upside-down world of Jesus. It's a complete different philosophy than the philosophy of the world. Following Jesus, listen, following Jesus is following his teachings. He said himself, if you continue in my word, you really are my disciples. That's a disciple. In John 13, Jesus gives one of the most memorable examples of what a disciple is all about. He washes the feet of his apostles. Is that not crazy? And this wasn't about telling them, you know what, you need to just go wash people's feet. It was what he was saying here to them, and that is you should serve other people even in the most minimal of things. In John 15, Jesus illustrates discipleship and he says it's like a branch that's dependent upon the vine. To be really a disciple of Jesus, you have to stay, you have to remain on the vine with Jesus. That's where our nourishment comes from. It's bearing fruit. He says that's what we do as disciples, we bear fruit. And don't think that's not a play off of also the Spirit of God, as we talked about in Galatians. The Spirit of God coming to us and the fruit of the Spirit being a part of our lives. And then, of course, disciples are about making disciples. And we go right back to the Great Commission that we talked about a moment ago. And, and when we move from that Great Commission, then suddenly we, we move into Acts. And we see that Jesus in the beginning, he is not ascended as of yet. But we see that he's there, and then in those 40 days, he continues to disciple the disciples. He's speaking to them about the kingdom of God. And it's like, you know, Jesus has been talking to them about this for three years. I mean, you know, why is he spending so much time? Because he's getting ready for them to launch it into the world. To Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of of the world and you may be thinking yeah but he's talking to the apostles let me tell you something those 12 apostles were not going to get the message of Christ the good news to the entire world during their lifetime and if they did Jesus isn't still his, his those apostles are not still physically walking today to tell us about it it was intended for disciples to go and disciple and for those disciples to continue to disciple. That's the way Jesus set this up. In chapter 8, we learn of the persecution 
of the church. We find the first martyr in Stephen. And we see that Saul is bringing these great threats against the church. And what it does is it sets up the second phase of Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. But listen to what it says. He says, so those who were scattered went on their way proclaiming the message of the good news. Let's read it again. So the apostles were scattered, went on their way. No. Those who were scattered. You see the difference? Folks, the apostles stayed in Jerusalem for the most part. Who is it proclaiming the message of the good news? The people who are being scattered. The disciples themselves. Now wait till we get into to the book of Acts in a couple of weeks. Listen, discipleship is happening everywhere. And it's exciting. And we should be excited about what we find there. They believed Jesus was who he said he was. And these disciples continued to join together in this intense worship and lovingly kept each other accountable in their walk with God. And they continued to make disciples. That's who they were. And that's what we're called to be. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Father, we come to you this day and we thank you for your love and your goodness and your kindness. Father, help us as we continue to be disciples of yours. Help us to grow personally. Help us to be more like you. Father, not, let us not just be something that we do in word, but also in deed. And Father, help us by the power of your spirit, help us to take your message, this good news, good news to our world. Father, we thank you so much for saving us, rescuing us. And Father, just fill us with your love and your care and your grace and your mercy. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Jesus sent them out. This doesn't mean that they were fully equipped, that they were fully trained, that they were mistake-free. In fact, Jesus gave them more questions than answers whenever he did send them out. Sending them, the part of sending them, was part of their training. Jesus didn't teach in a classroom setting as we have grown accustomed to learn the things that we learn today. The disciples, they walked with him. They were sent out with him and by him. He expected remarkable things from them. Things like proclaiming repentance, casting out demons, healing people. He was honest with them, telling them he was sending them out like sheep among the wolves. That he was sending them on an extremely dangerous mission. That they would be hated, that they would be persecuted for the things he was calling them to do. But it was also at this time that Jesus told them that he would give them the words that they would need when they would need them at the time they would need them. Jesus sent disciples out on an extremely dangerous mission with very limited and minimal training. Maybe that's why these men were so successful at making disciples all around the world and throughout history and throughout acts of making disciples all around the world. And perhaps that's where followers of Jesus today miss the mark. Right? Maybe we spend 
so much time preparing ourselves to go that we forget to move in the first place. You see, people were attracted to the early church. I mean, how couldn't you be with the things they were saying, the things that they were doing, and and the things they were proclaiming? Some joined them. Many hated them. But nobody could ignore them. And we at the Vero Beach Church of Christ, we want to be that type of church. And it begins now. Next week, we are going to kick off something that we are labeling as the 100 campaign. Now, our goal with this campaign is to develop and identify 100 of our members who are actively making disciples. Now, more details about that will take place, and to answer all your questions that I know are beginning to roll through your mind, all those answers will come throughout the next week and couple of weeks, but for now, we are asking everybody to do just a couple of things. One, pray for this church. Pray that we will not be a church who's simply okay with being okay. Courageously pray that we will be a church that some will join, that many will hate, but that nobody will be able to ignore because we love Jesus that much. Number two, consider your involvement in the 100 campaign. And I know that's hard for you to do without all the details and the ins and outs and all the questions you have, but the leadership is challenging you to be one of the 100, to be a disciple who is making a disciple, and only you can make that decision. Only you can determine your involvement in being a disciple-maker, of taking Jesus' command for all people seriously. And then finally, number three, reread Jesus' words found in Luke 9.23. Luke 9.23. And we're going to read that here in a moment. Tracy has mentioned it at the very beginning of this sermon and the sermon before this. Reread those words now. Reread them later tonight before you go to sleep. Reread them tomorrow morning before you begin next work week. Reread them every day throughout this upcoming week as you prepare yourself for this campaign. And without further ado, let's read those words. Luke 9, 23. If anybody wants to come with me, he must deny himself. He must take up his cross daily. And he must follow me. And if we can help you in any way with doing that, please come forward now as we stand and we sing.